It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli. I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home okay. It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up? You lose your license? You lose your job? You total your car? You kill someone? Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So, if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. This Christmas, feel joy, gift joy, and send them joy with the perfect gift at Arnott's. Explore an endless array of gifting that will bring joy to everyone on your list. Shop Irish at the Christmas market, support emerging new businesses with Pitch 22, or find something extra special from one of our world-class brands. Shop in-store and online at arnott's.ie. Monsters is a podcast about the worst human beings on the planet. Listener discretion is advised. Brian David Mitchell became a religious fundamentalist, began calling himself Emmanuel, and believed himself to be a prophet of God. With his wife, Wanda Barzi, as his disciple, he went on a quest to get his house in order for the upcoming apocalypse. He was going to need help, and those helpers were not going to be willing participants. This is Monsters. Brian David Mitchell grew up in a Mormon family in Salt Lake City, Utah. He was involved in regular childhood activities like Cub Scouts and Little League. His mother, Irene, was said to be a caring mother and worked as a teacher. His father, Cheryl, on the other hand, didn't seem to have a decent grasp on appropriate ways to teach his son about life. He would drop Brian off in an unfamiliar part of town and make him figure out how to get home to teach him about independence. His father also attempted to teach him about sex using graphic pictures from a medical journal. As a teen, Brian became rebellious and frequently fought with his mother. He was sent to a juvenile detention center after exposing himself to a child when he was 16 years old. Soon after that, he was sent to live with his grandmother, but it didn't really help. He eventually dropped out of school. After his departure from high school, Brian took a path that wasn't in line with the Mormon religion. 
he started doing drugs and drinking alcohol. When he was 19 years old, he married a 16-year-old named Karen Minor, and they had two children together during their two-year marriage. When they divorced, Brian was given custody of the children due to Karen's drug abuse, but after she got remarried, she attempted to regain custody of her children. In order to prevent the kids from returning to their mother, Brian took them to New Hampshire before their scheduled custody hearing. He lived there for two years, part of the time living in a Hare Krishna commune, before returning to Salt Lake City. It seems that Karen didn't resume her attempt to gain custody of the kids because they remained with Brian. Once back in Salt Lake City, his brother had just returned from a mission and convinced Brian to rejoin the Mormon church. He stopped drinking and doing drugs and became active in the church. In 1981, when he was 28 years old, he married his second wife, Debbie, who already had three children at the time. The couple went on to have two more children together, creating a household with seven children. The relationship quickly showed signs of strain and Brian put his first two children into foster care. Family members testified that Brian believed that his first two children were threatening his marriage to Debbie and that he needed to get them out of the family. Brian was required to get a mental health evaluation before he placed his children into foster care and the psychiatrist found no signs of mental illness. During this time, he wouldn't allow his first two children to attend the LDS church because he believed that they weren't worthy. He insisted that they be adopted by a non-LDS family and that they were not allowed to contact his extended family. They were eventually adopted by a family from Camas, Utah, about an hour east of Salt Lake City. Brian became obsessed with Satan, telling people that he was learning about his enemy. Even though his behavior had begun to scare Debbie, it was Brian who filed for divorce in 1984. He claimed that Debbie was violent toward him and the children and that he believed that she was turning the children against him, which is strange because it sounds like the kids all remained with her. Why would you file for divorce, claiming your partner is abusive to your kids, and then just leave them there? A year after their separation, Debbie called authorities and reported her concerns that Brian may have sexually abused their three-year-old son. They couldn't find any evidence to prove that, but a caseworker with the Division of Child and Family Services recommended that his future visitations be supervised. Eventually, one of Brian's stepdaughters came forward and accused the man of sexually abusing her the entire time he was married to Debbie. Debbie reported the abuse to LDS leaders, but was advised to drop it. When the girl testified at trial, she told stories of Brian forcing her to look at pornographic pictures, brushing up against her breasts, and kissing her on the lips even after she asked him to stop. Brian married his third wife, Wanda Barzi, on the same day that his divorce from Debbie was finalized. Wanda already had six children, but she left them with her ex-husband when that marriage ended. A couple of her children moved in with them when they first married, but they soon got tired of the constant proselytizing and they moved back out. Brian began portraying Satan during temple rituals, and they became so extreme that other church members had to ask him to tone it down. He eventually changed his name to Emmanuel David Isaiah and claimed that he was a prophet of God who received prophetic visions. Wanda began going by the name Hephziba, or God Adorneth. Brian started preaching on the streets in downtown Salt Lake City and begging for money. Just two months before the abduction, Brian finished writing a 27-page prophecy called The Book of Emmanuel David Isaiah. It began, quote, Hearken, O ye inhabitants of the earth, 
Listen together and open your ears, for it is I, the Lord God of all the earth, the creator of all things that speaketh unto you. I have raised up my servant Emmanuel David Isaiah, ever my righteous right hand, to be a light and a covenant to my people. End quote. According to Brian, the prophecy instructed him to gain, quote, seven times seven virgin brides plus one, end quote, which is just a convoluted way of saying 50. These virgin brides were to assist in getting God's house in order before the apocalypse. When authorities at the Mormon church obtained copies of the prophecy, Brian was excommunicated. In April of 2002, Brian's mother, Irene, filed a restraining order against her son and Wanda after the couple showed up at her house and aggressively tried to get her to read his book of Emmanuel David Isaiah. Elizabeth Smart was born and raised in Salt Lake City, Utah. She was the second oldest of six children who all seemed to live an idyllic life in the suburbs. The day before her abduction, Elizabeth had received awards from Bryant Middle School for physical fitness and academics. She played the harp and would go on to get a bachelor's degree in harp performance from Brigham Young University. In 2002, Brian David Mitchell began stalking many young girls around the Salt Lake City area. When he would see a young girl that he liked, he would become fixated on them, but he was never able to find out where they lived after seeing them in public. It wasn't until the Smart family hired a handyman named Emmanuel to do some work around their home that he was finally able to put his plan in motion. That's where Brian first saw Elizabeth, and unfortunately, now he knew where she lived. On June 5th, 2002, 14-year-old Elizabeth was awoken by a man's voice telling her to be quiet or he would kill her family. She shared a room with her younger sister, Mary Catherine, and she didn't want anything to happen to her, so she did as she was told. Little did she know, Mary Catherine was only pretending to be asleep. Once Brian had left with Elizabeth, she attempted to go alert her parents, but almost ran into Brian, who was still in the hallway between her room and her parents' room. She tiptoed back to her bed and closed her eyes, waiting in fear for the intruder to leave. After what's estimated to be about two hours, she got up again and told her parents what happened. Believing at first that Mary Catherine had just had a nightmare, they went into the girl's bedroom to investigate and found Elizabeth missing and a hole cut in the window screen. The authorities were alerted, and more than 2,000 people began searching for the missing girl, but their attempts were unsuccessful. Brian made Elizabeth put on shoes and trekked her deep into the wilderness. It was far enough that the young girl was afraid that her body wouldn't be found if he killed her, so she said to him, quote, If you're going to rape and kill me, can you do it here so my body will be found? End quote. He told her to keep moving. They eventually reached the top of a ridge where Brian had set up a camp. At the camp, Wanda was waiting for them. When they arrived at the camp, Wanda told her to take off her clothes and change into some robes. When she refused, Wanda explained that Brian would just rip them off of her, so she gave in and changed. Brian then performed a marriage ceremony before taking her into the tent and raping her. For about three months, Elizabeth was locked to a chain that was connected to a cable which was strung between two trees. She wasn't allowed to talk about her family, and Brian told her that her new name was Sheer Jashub, but she convinced him to let her use the name Esther. Brian was going into town and stealing food, but it was barely enough to keep them healthy. After the first three months, Brian started spending more time in town, indulging in alcohol and junk food. He would bring scraps and garbage back to the camp, which started to anger Wanda. 
After that, he started taking both of his quote-unquote wives with him into the city. Elizabeth and Wanda would both wear full robes with white veils covering their faces. They were able to walk around Salt Lake City without anyone being the wiser. Once at a public library, a suspicious patron called the police and reported that one of the women might be Elizabeth Smart. When the officer arrived, he demanded that she take off her veil so he could see her face. Brian claimed that she was his daughter and couldn't remove the veil in public as it would be against their religion to do so. The officer eventually gave in and left. Elizabeth would later say, quote, I felt like hope was walking out the door. I was mad at myself that I didn't say anything. Mad at myself for not taking the chance. So close. I felt terrible that the detective hadn't pushed harder. He just walked away. End quote. In September of 2002, Brian relocated the group to Lakeside, California, about 20 miles or 32 kilometers northeast of San Diego. He set up a campsite outside of a town and they would eat free meals from a homeless shelter. They moved around to various campsites and sometimes slept under bridges. About this same time back in Salt Lake City, Mary Catherine had finally remembered where she recognized the voice of the man who kidnapped her sister. It was dark when the man was in her bedroom, so she didn't get a good look at his face, which is why they were never able to do a composite sketch. Mary Catherine told her parents that the voice she heard belonged to a transient who had done work on their house. He claimed his name was Emmanuel. Her parents found it hard to believe that she could remember the voice from that long ago, but with nothing else to go on, they put together a police sketch and aired it on TV. Brian's family recognized him and provided the police with photographs, which would eventually air on Larry King Live and America's Most Wanted, amongst other places. In March of 2003, Brian wanted to travel to the East Coast, somewhere like New York or Boston. Elizabeth knew that she would never be recognized there and managed to convince him that God wanted them to go back to Salt Lake City. Elizabeth's will and intelligence absolutely saved her life in this case. Even in this horrific scenario, being kidnapped and repeatedly raped, at 14 years old, she was still able to outwit this con man and help herself get back to safety. They had only been back in the Salt Lake City area for a matter of days before two separate locals in the nearby town of Sandy, Utah, saw the group walking down the street and called police to report seeing Brian. Once again, the false prophet started to explain that the women were his wife and daughter and that they couldn't remove their veils for religious reasons. It was the public library all over again. Then, one officer said to the other, quote, She's too scared to even answer. You've got to get her by herself, end quote. They finally put Elizabeth in a separate car where it was confirmed that she was in fact the missing girl. She asked the officer what was going to happen to Brian and Wanda, which is often reported as her having shown concern for her captors. Elizabeth later explained that she wanted to know what was going to happen to them because she was afraid that she would end up in the same room as them at the police station, like that they might just take them all to the police station and hold them in the same room while they sorted everything out. Of course, she was immediately reunited with her family and didn't see Brian again until she testified against him at his trial. That wouldn't be until 2010, though, due to a number of competency hearings. Most of that stems from his interrogation. Well, I will, but how did she, she come to be in your custody? By the power of God. By the power of Almighty God. And how did God lead her to you?
he worked with Father Power in the Holy Ghost. He put on her heart that she knew that I was the Lord's true servant. So you converted her to your way of I didn't convert her to anything. The Holy Ghost converts. The Holy Spirit converts. The Holy Ghost converted her. The Spirit of God. She was converted by the Spirit of God. And why was she converted to be with you? When you read the book, you'll understand. Brian David Mitchell used religion to get what he wanted out of people. It's a giant con, and everybody in his family testified that he's an actor who will take on any role to con people into getting what he wanted. This girl that was with you, what did you call her? Her name is Shirjashin. How do you spell that? S-H-E-R-E-A-R. S-H-E-R? S-H-E-A-R, Shir. Jason is J A S H U B. J A S H U B. Sure, Jason. How old is she? She, her, once again, that that question is very relevant. How old is she? She's eighteen. What would lead you to believe she's eighteen? Because the Lord has said she's, she is such. The Lord God Almighty told you that she's 18 years old? That's a yes or no question. Yes, yes. Okay. Yes. Did you marry Eight, her? But you say, you say 18. You say 18. Brian, just I'm listen. Not, I'm not, that's not who I am. Emmanuel, listen. Did you marry her? I didn't marry her, but she still to me as my wife. Yeah. She's still to you as your wife. Have you had sexual intercourse with her? Those are very personal, private questions. That's a very relevant and question. Did you have sex with her, yes or no? You are at, you, you, you told me I have an attorney present. I'm my, I am my attorney. You are your own attorney? Presently, I am. Okay. okay. Presently, I am. God told him that Elizabeth was 18. Oh, okay. Well, let's just cover the basics, okay? Okay. Did you take Shirar Jeshub? Shir Jeshub? Esther Isaiah is her name. Shir Jeshub? Esther Isaiah. I'm sorry, Emmanuel. I just can't pronounce that. I'm just going to call her Elizabeth, okay? Shir Jeshub? Esther Isaiah. Esther? Esther. I'll call her Esther. Did you take Esther out of her house? The Lord God delivered her to us. And how did the Lord God deliver her to you? Was that on the street somewhere? Was it at the shelter? Did the Lord God sneak into her bedroom and take her out of her room in the middle of the night and deliver her to you? I mean, this is, this is, I understand, you know, you're trying to, this isn't making much sense to the two of us. Right. So what I was hoping is maybe you could explain it in a way that we can understand well, it. Well, you're, 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 you want answers that you can use against me. You know you do. Well, not only that, but understand you, this. You, and you say you want to know the truth. True, we do. Okay? But the truth will set us set you free. It will set all men free. I mean, and, the, and, and, and the, when Jesus Christ was questioned, mm-hmm. his answers didn't please them either. They were very angry with him. Excuse me. You were once LDS. You consider Joseph Smith to be a true prophet of God? Joseph Smith is a true prophet of God. And he wrote the 13 Articles of Faith? Yes, he did. What was the 13th Article of Faith? Sir, we believe in being subject to the laws of the land. Is that not what the thirteenth article of faith says? Yes, it is. 
then all we want to know is if you've been faithful to your own beliefs, have you been faithful to the laws of the land? What was Jesus Christ accused of? I'm not talking about Jesus. I have been I'm talking faithful. about you. I have been absolutely faithful to the righteous laws of this land. Amen, I have. It's not just him deflecting questions by using biblical gibberish. He makes incredibly offensive statements that will want to make you puke. Seriously, get a bucket ready. Because there's a 15-year-old girl who for the past 10 months, or 9 months, has been completely horrified. And the last thing they want to have to do is have to put her through all that pain again by constantly asking her questions and have her relive it. I used, I, I used to work with kids. I worked with kids who were, mm -hmm. that were horribly abused, sexually, physically. I you know. understand. But I don't think you do, okay? But, but you she, just ask them to relive she, that. She, Hang on a second. She, I'm, I'm talking. To relive what? She's had, she's had a glorious experience. A glorious experience? With you? Are you, are, are you? are you telling me that for the past nine months that she's been with you that it's been glorious? It's been... Our, we've been had many trials, and all of us have had many trials and tribulations. Can you explain something to me? We've all had many trials, difficult trials and tribulations, but we've seen God's power of deliverance to protect, provide, and deliver mightily. And for example, and and, and she knows she knows who I am. She knows I'm the servant of the Lord. And she, she does. And yes, she did. She does. He spends the better part of two hours just spewing religious gibberish and eventually just starts singing hymns and ignoring the investigators in an effort to convince authorities that he's not fit to stand trial. Fortunately, the rational people involved in this case didn't buy it. He was initially housed at the Utah State Hospital where, surprise surprise, the psychologist hired by the defense found him delusional and unfit to stand trial. The court disagreed and found him competent to stand trial in 2004. The defense tried to get him a plea deal. They wanted to plead him out on kidnapping and burglary, but the prosecution wouldn't take the rape charge off the table. During court hearings, Brian started acting out in court, singing songs and interrupting the proceedings. He had also been transferred to jail, where staff said he was also acting unreasonable, so the judge deemed him not able to stand trial and sent him back to Utah State Hospital. Over the next few years, the courts tried to get permission to force medication to be able to bring Brian Mitchell and Wanda Barzi to trial. It worked with Wanda, and she eventually pleaded guilty and was sentenced to 15 years in prison. She was released in 2018 and put on the sex offender registry. It was reported in 2019 that she moved into an apartment that was across the street from an elementary school. During the lengthy competency evaluations, investigators discovered that Brian had also attempted to kidnap Elizabeth's cousin, Olivia Wright. Elizabeth had happened to mention her at one point during her captivity due to the pair being best friends. Brian changed into the same dark clothes he wore when he kidnapped Elizabeth before he packed a bag with rope, duct tape, and a knife. He walked to the house where Olivia lived and began sneaking in through a window, but he accidentally knocked something over and got scared off. He returned to the camp alone and proclaimed that they weren't ready to receive another wife yet. The case against Brian Mitchell was eventually transferred to federal court. He was evaluated by Dr. Michael Wellner, who prepared a 205-page report on the competency of Brian. The report included his history of pedophilia, his prior plans to kidnap young girls, and his plan to attack a girls' camp with a machete in order to take more wives. The report described that Brian David Mitchell suffered from pedophilia, antisocial personality disorder, psychopathy, malingering, which is the faking of an illness to avoid prosecution, 
and narcissistic personality disorder. It's said that he did not have any delusional disorder or psychotic mental illness. It seems that the pedophilia diagnosis hit the nail on the head because he gets set off when the investigators call him a pedophile during his interrogation. Oh, wait a minute. I think we just hit a nerve there. Let's talk about lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh are all, all of those things that you set your hearts upon other than Jesus Christ. You know what? My heart's not upon screwing a 14-year-old girl. Me neither. I've never wanted to have sex. And I never have either, and my heart's not set on that you did. My heart is not, I did not. You did. I did not. Did I not. did not. Did not what? Do what you just said. I did not. Did not do what? A fourteen-year-old virgin I did to not. your campsite, and you had sex with her against her will. What's your you would want to show her how to do it, and then you made her do it. What's your and you had to tie her up at the camp. What's your accusing me of? I'm accusing you. You look at me. Look at me in the eye. I'm yes. accusing you of being a child molester, and you're rapist, and your accusation is false. Bullshit. Bullshit. The truth. Dr. Wellner describes how in his interrogation, he successfully deflects questions in a quick and deliberate manner. At one point in the interrogation, he calls out the investigators for changing their tactics to use flattery against him. Dr. Wellner says that that showed a very strong presence of mind. When he was approached by police while Elizabeth was in his captivity, he lied about who she was. If he was just doing what God had commanded him to do, he would have been proud and open about it. But he knew what he did was wrong, which is why he lied about it. On March 1st, 2010, the court ruled that Brian was competent to stand trial. On December 10th, 2010, Brian David Mitchell was found guilty of kidnapping and transporting a minor across state lines with intent to engage in sexual activity. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Elizabeth Smart went on to get married and have three children. She served as a missionary for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Paris before returning home to testify in the 2010 trial of Brian David Mitchell. She founded the Elizabeth Smart Foundation, became an advocate for child safety and missing persons, along with becoming an ABC News correspondent. She wrote a memoir titled My Story, co-written by Chris Stewart in 2013. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility, call 911, or call Mental Health America, who operate the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Be safe. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed it, you can help us out by leaving us a review or rating on whatever podcast app you listen through. You can also subscribe to the show to ensure you don't miss an episode. Also, remember that if you'd like to support the show, you can find information on how to do that at thisismonsters.com forward slash support. Thanks again. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home, okay? It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up? You lose your license? You lose your job? You total your car? You kill someone? Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. 
That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So, if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. Life's full of things we can't depend on. Like the Irish weather, predictably unpredictable. When you're cutting it fine, but the tractor in front is out for the day. No winner of this week's you-know-what. So much for Lucky 7. But some things you can depend on. Like in home heating. Emo, Jones Oil and Campus Oil are now Certa, Delivering the same warmth to your home now and into the future. For home heating you can depend on, see CertaIreland.ie. This Christmas, feel joy, gift joy and send them joy with the perfect gift at Arnott's. Explore an endless array of gifting that will bring joy to everyone on your list. Shop Irish at the Christmas market, support emerging new businesses with Pitch 22 or find something extra special from one of our world-class brands. Shop in-store and online at arnott's.ie.